past few weeks, we've been looking at the doctrine of the church or ecclesiology, if you like the fancy term, but looking at what is God doing in the church in this age from that first founding day back at Pentecost about 2000 years ago now to our present age. What is he about? What is he doing and how are we active and involved in it? Just a little bit of review to get us into this this uh, session for today. This word ecclesia, the Greek word ecclesia, is used a lot of different times in Scripture. This is from, I don't know, a few weeks ago we looked at this these ter- this term and how it's used in Scripture. It can refer to a non-religious assembly, really a mob in Ephesians, or excuse me, in Ephesus, but in Acts chapter 19, talks about a whole group of folks that are gathered together in a socio-political kind of a situation, not a church. We can see how this word is used to describe the assembly with the congregation of Israel gathered especially and particularly at Mount Sinai and the giving of the law in Exodus 20 and, and to the end of the book, actually, of Exodus. But uh, chapter 19, they assemble around Mount Sinai and go on. So the word is used to describe in the Old Testament and in the New Testament this assembly of Israel, not the church. We see how this word is used to describe the universal church as we have defined it. All the, all the believers in Christ from Pentecost to that last one coming into the, into Christ. This is the universal church. Uh, across time, even those who are alive on earth or alive in heaven, this term is often used to describe that. But by and large, the word is used to describe local churches, whether a local church in a region, like for example, the churches in Galatia that are described, or the churches in Judea and Galilee and Samaria, or the churches of Cilicia, you know, up in um, modern-day Turkey, where Paul was from, or other places that would describe the church in this region. It's living people. It is those who are both regenerate and those who are attached to the church, whether children of, of regenerate people or friends that have come to hear the message, whatever it is, the church can be described in that regard. The visible church, which, as we described earlier, Jesus said, uh, there are wheat and tares. There's both the, the, the healthy living germ or, or kernel or seed, but there's also the tares or the, the, the not regenerate people. The church is comprised of all these different people. Of course, we want each person in this local assembly to be saved, and yet we also want unbelievers to come and hear the gospel. And so we are grateful for God's uh, pattern and path of, of bringing all sorts of folks into a church the visible church. We can talk about a church in a city. And of course, the scripture talks about the church in Jerusalem and Antioch and Lystra and Derbe and Iconium and Ephesus and Sincrea and um, Rome, Corinth, Laodicea, all the ones, the seven churches of, of uh, Revelation 2 and 3 are described here as a church in a city. We can also see how it is used to describe a local church, like we would be a local church or a congregation. And we can see that especially when the scripture talks about the church. Well, a lot of times it's the universal church, but another lot of times it's a local church. If the whole church assembles together, for example, or when Paul says, you know, I taught these churches, but now I also taught the rest of the churches, these individual uh, congregations that are organized and ordered according to God's word. We can also see this word church be referred to the meeting of the church, not just the people who comprise it, but an actual meeting, uh, uh, you know, on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, for example. And so that they are, uh, when the church, when you come together as a church, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 18, and and then again many times in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, saying in the church, all these things should happen. And that's calling attention to the church meeting. 
I mentioned before that church does not refer to, or rather we should not refer to something as a house church or a building church. In fact, nowhere in scripture is church, the term ecclesia used in relation to a building. It's very different, by the way, and this is a new thing, perhaps I didn't mention this a few weeks ago, is that the not the parallel word, but a corresponding word in the Jewish sense is the word synagogue. You are familiar with that. Most often, that word synagogue is used to describe the building, almost exclusively. There are a few instances where it refers to the gathered folks in a synagogue, some, the assembly of folks, like when they will bring you before the synagogue and before rulers and authorities, and you know how Jesus said about that in the last days in Luke uh, 12, verse 11. But mostly it refers to the building. When Jesus entered the synagogue and began to teach, or when, you know, different things in the synagogue. That word uh, synagogue has a, a verbal form, people gathering together, and that is used often to describe the church being gathered together, a, an assembly of, of folks who are uh, in the same spot and even like-minded. Uh, we see it a lot in Acts. Acts 4 and verse 31 says the um, when they, the apostles and other believers, had prayed earnestly, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with confidence. We see that their assembly is an obvious byproduct or result of their being in the church, being in a congregation of believers that they meet together. We'll see more about that as we go along. Many times we can see that that getting together or meeting together is an important, valuable, essential part of the church life, meeting together. And I just remember from just two years ago how that was uh, challenged. And for months even, uh, it was afflicting the church and, and prohibiting or preventing the church from gathering and how we're so grateful that we are able to meet. And of course, we ought to meet even if if we had that situation again. I think many churches would respond a little bit differently uh, knowing that what, what uh, things were going on in these last two years. And yet the meeting of the church is very important. There are many arguments against a church membership, so-called, as we think, well, I'm a part of the church, I'm part of the universal church, the Catholic, lower C Catholic church, the, the uh, church uh, militant on earth, and I'm part of that. Why do I need to be part of a local church? Why do I have to identify myself with a local congregation? We can see many arguments against church membership. One, I don't see membership in the Bible. Well, it is true, if you looked for the term membership in relation to the church, you wouldn't see it, except that we are members of one another, Ephesians 4.25, I think, says, don't lie to one another, laying aside falsehood, speak truth to one another, for we are members of one another. So there's that aspect. We can see that, okay, we may not see membership applied in the in the strictest sense about uh, these things, and yet we realize the foundation, the the essential aspects of the church body life presume and, and, and lead to a membership in some regard, as we'll look uh, forward to see. Another argument is, I don't need to join the church to be a good Christian, join a church, rather, to be a good Christian. Well, one aspect of that is Christ commands us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And that's not just y'all getting together with you, yourself, and you if you don't mind my saying, that you get together with other believers, other like-minded people. How are you going to fulfill the one another commandments without getting together with people? How are you going to grow? How are you going to be able to speak truth to one another and receive truth from other people? Another argument is, I don't want to be tied down to this place. I'd rather keep my options open. Well, you're putting yourself at a great 
disadvantage, if not dangerous situation, being a Lone Ranger Christian. I think I can do this by myself. I don't need to. I, you guys don't have the corner on the truth. You guys, you are this and the other thing. Well, fine. Find another church that you can be a part of. But it's important for your spiritual vitality and progress in the faith to be part of a local congregation, as we'll see going forward. Another argument against church membership. I don't want to be just another number. Which is so odd because what are you if you're not part of a local church and you you visit this church and you visit that church and we don't know you and they don't the other church you visit doesn't know you aren't you just a number there just a person in the shadows that we don't know who that person is what struggles what joys what ways that they can serve the congregation we don't know how to minister to them how you become not just another number is to be part of a local church be part of a local body that loves you that knows you that wants to help you and be helped by you another argument i don't trust the pastors well you better find somebody you can trust. If you can't trust the pastors whose responsibility before the Lord is to help you on the path toward Christ's likeness, toward sanctification, then you need to find somebody else whom you can trust. Again, you, and you ought to think too about First, First Timothy five. It says, uh, "Don't receive an accusation accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses." So if you have something against a pastor, elder, overseer, which we'll look at here, not today, but in a few weeks, uh, church leadership, then you, well, if it's something significant, you better have another witness or two to confirm or corroborate your uh, not trusting or finding fault with the pastors. It's not to say the pastors are infallible, inerrant, and and just holier than uh, holy water kind of thing. No, we're subject to sin and all that kind of foolish choices and so forth. But if you have a legitimate issue with the leadership, that needs to be addressed. And if you don't trust them just because your own feelings have been ruffled or your your uh, God is not as concerned about this issue as you are, then find another church where you can trust the pastors, trust those who are accountable for your spiritual growth and development. Another argument, I had a bad experience in my previous church. I'm sorry for that. Uh, your church was just like this church then. We have sinners. We have people that we, we err. We, we don't always act on truth. We don't always act on uh, judging righteously and judging not based on appearances, but judging the heart of issues. We don't always speak truth lovingly. We don't always uh, speak the truth, unfortunately, knowing the truth to the particular issue. We may be talking about something ancillary to it, but we don't get to the heart of the issue. And there's disappointments, there's frustrations, all these things. That does not mean we should just dismiss the church all day. I had a bad experience with my previous church. I will not be hurt again. Therefore, I, the walls are up and I'm done with being involved with a local church. I pity that. I'm sorry for that situation. I know that there have been wrongs done in the name of Christ. I know that that will continue until he comes. I know that there are wheat and tares together, not just in the membership of the church, but in the leadership of the church. There are so many... There's a term that I've seen online, different things, calling uh, uh, false teachers, false pastors, impastors. You know, they're impastors. They're, they're not acting as shepherds of the flock. They're not acting for the best interests of the flock. They're out for their own selves and, and fleecing, the, fleecing the flock. And, and that. Can, I'm sorry for your experience, but don't throw out, if you don't mind, the baby with the bathwater. Christ himself died for the church, universal, but also the local assemblies. And he is chief. He is head. Remember, I mean, picture that. Re- Revelation 1, 2, 3. He is walking in the midst of the churches and he will execute judgment upon those churches that don't respond to his word. 
And so we're, we're, we have seen over the last two years even how a lot of churches, a lot of pastors have been exposed for the shams that they are. The, 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 they're not honoring Christ in their assemblies. Well, I waxed eloquent. I don't agree with the doctrinal statement. Okay. What specifically? And, and where is it? How do you see that conflicting with the scriptures? What scripture, you know, book, chapter, verse? What, where do you see our statement differing from what you're under, understanding of scripture? And hey, if we cannot come to an agreement on this, God bless you. Find another church where you can wholeheartedly embrace what they are teaching, what they are standing for, with their, their convictions regarding this, that, other thing. If you don't agree with the doctrinal statement, that's fine. There are different churches around, different ways that try to faithfully honor Christ in his word, and yet there are disagreements over various things. So find a church that you can align with. Another argument. Boy, am I giving you some, some tools for you now? You can argue back to me. Hopefully I'm, I'm addressing these things. It's another argument. I don't agree with the rules of the church. I don't want other people to control my life. I don't want to control your life. I don't want anybody else to think I need to control that person's life. Parents don't control children's lives. Now we teach, we admonish, we, we raise children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But I can't control your choices. I, I can discipline you for your bad choices. I can try to shape you toward what is right. But I, I'm not here to control you. I'm not here to make your decisions for you. I'm here to feed you. And other pastors are here to feed you, and yet not to force feed you, not to uh, do the work that is, is your own part to do. I don't want to control your life. I don't want to have anything to do that is outside of my territory. In fact, if you hear anybody from the pulpit speaking things that are outside of what Christ himself is speaking, if you don't, in other words, if you don't hear Christ himself speaking through this microphone or whatever, these speakers, then... Christ is not speaking. This is a human opinion. Now, I can give opinions on occasion, but when I do, I try to introduce it as, hey, this is my opinion. I think this. But the scripture says, God says, Jesus has commanded. That's an entirely different thing. We want Christ to control our lives. We want to be under his headship, not just as a church. He's the head of the church, but head over me. I want him to direct and control my life. And so, if we argue, well, I don't want other people to control it, well, that's, that's reasonable, that's fine. I, we shouldn't be micromanaging other people, but will you allow Christ to control your life? Will you allow those to, uh, who are entrusted, entrusting themselves to Christ to be able to speak God's word into your life? To say, thus says God, I'm not saying it, it's God who's saying it. Can you listen to, in that regard? Can you humbly, contritely receive God's word, received the living word, received God's own instruction. Another argument, I already belong to another church. And so the obvious question is, what are you doing here? I mean, God bless you, we love you, but if you're part of another church, then go, you know, how does the saying go? Dance with the guy that brought you or whatever. You know, be in that church participate, engage with that church, love it, and, and just prosper in that church. Now, if there are reasons why you need to leave that church and, and come to this church or another church, well, we'll help you to work through those things. But if you're part of a church and you don't have any other issues with them, be faithful in that congregation. This last one, I already get everything I need without being a member. Now, one of the heart of, heart of that argument is more of a consumer mentality, like, you know, when you are a member of some uh, shopping, whatever, you know, I'm a, a this member or that member, I'm a gold, platinum, plus whatever member, fine. But that is, what do you contribute to them other than your money? 
we're not after your money here. We're not after the, this, the, you know, your pocketbook. We want you to serve, not a consumer mentality. What can I get out of it? And you say, I already get everything I need. Wait a minute, that's the wrong approach to church life. We are here not to be served, but to serve, even as our Lord Jesus said. I, Jesus, didn't come to be served, but to serve and to lay down my life or to give my life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. And so we ought not have this idea, I get everything I need. What about, what are you giving to other people? What, how are you using your gifts and abilities, the resources God has entrusted to you to bless and serve other people? We ought not to have a consumer mentality, but a serving or producer or creator mentality. All this word about content creators and all this. You have an opportunity and a responsibility to create and to bless other people. It's not just about what you can get out of it, but what you can give to others. Well, all those arguments, some of them are more reasonable than others and so forth, and they're real. I mean, you can think of some names and faces and stories, and maybe many of these reflect your own experience and, and concerns. And yet we look to the scriptures and we say, okay, we may not see church membership per se, you know, by itself. You know, the section, the chapter on church membership is right here and, and whatever. No, but we can see the foundation being laid in the scripture uh, even from the Old Testament, we'll look principally at the New Testament today, looking at the biblical basis for church uh, membership or the biblical foundation, or as I think I said it in the bulletin, the importance of church membership, uh, the value, the benefit of church membership, the the uh, essential practice even of church membership. And one of those is, and this is somewhat of a review, the pictures of the church in the New Testament. How is the church described? And we looked at this a few weeks ago. We see terms such as body or flock or household, especially when you consider a flock and you, you look at shepherds and, hey, if that sheep does not belong to you, you are stealing somebody else's sheep. Or if a sheep in your flock is not listened to you, then you as a shepherd need to do something and, and go after that sheep and, and restore that person, that sheep rather, in, the, in a flock, a sheep, literal sheep kind of situation. You need to work to Help that sheep hear your voice. John 10 says, my sheep hear me. They know me. They hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And it's just a beautiful thing, the relationship. But we, we can see the picture of a flock. There is a, a, a definite number of sheep inside the flock and there are those outside the flock, right? Outside the fold, not because they're wandering, not because they're lost sheep, but because they belong to some other shepherd. But having been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son, we have life in him. We have an identity now with him. The imagery of the body indicates a unity, a diversity, definitely left hand. Well, left hand, there we go, right hand and right eye, left eye, all these different things. We have different aspects of the body, but one body, one head, and realizing, hey, if that's not my hand, I, I have no, I, there's a reason why I, when I'm thinking about it, that hand isn't moving because that belongs to somebody else. Now, that's, that's to say both in the, in the universal church sense, if they're not in Christ, they're not of this fold. If you don't mind going back to that metaphor, they're outside of this body. But if they're in the body, universally, they ought to listen to the head. If they're in this body, local body, then we have uh, opportunity to minister, to use our, our bicep muscle to serve uh, and move the, the thigh or whatever, you know, these different ways that we can help one another and to grow. So the pictures of the church help us realize the biblical foundation for membership. 
We looked last week, I believe, about the pattern of the first church back in Acts 2. After Pentecost, so many believers, 3,000 believers were added into the church. And we looked at certain of their characteristics. What is it? What was it like then for the church to meet and to act as a church? And we looked at uh, wonderful things about their actions, their devotion to one another, their devotion to the apostles' teaching, uh, fellowship, breaking bread, prayer, uh, worshipful wonder, all these wonderful things we looked at last time. So the pattern of the first church leads us into this idea, hey, we are together, we're in a local assembly, being devoted to one another, sharing meals together, recognizing, hey, we're part of something bigger than just ourselves. I realized that the church was starting in Jerusalem, but Jesus said, I will build my church, it will start here, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. We see Christ's promise being fulfilled throughout the book of Acts. And we see how this uh, church, first church, helps us to fulfill or carry out the identity that we have in Christ, to identify, to identify with Christ and to identify with his people, which oftentimes people, especially in the Jewish setting, identifying with Christ and his people meant, well, you're out of the synagogue and you're out of families and you're cast out of this situation, that situation. Well, you claim Christ, well, he's going to have to be everything you need because you're not getting anything from me anymore. You're out. And so it was a real cost. You know, consider the cost. Make, make sure that you are willing to uh, persevere in Christ. We see that the, the people in that first century were devoted to a local church. When we see uh, um, the command in Hebrews 10.24, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, that had to do with a, a particular local church, not just in general. You know, we, we ought not... Uh, you know, on a Sunday morning, go from a church to another church to another church next week and say, I'm, a, I'm assembling with God's people. It is so wonderful. But to identify with my people, my local church, the one that my, my shepherds know me. I know them. I know the other people. They know me. We know how we're growing together. We know uh, how we can serve one another and receive service from one, from one another. There is the idea, remember in Acts 5, when Ananias and Sapphira had that uh, deathly experience with uh, the Holy Spirit lying against him, that after that, none dared join them. Now, that's a good sermon title. That's a good book you know, name. None dared join them. Why? Because, whoa, God is serious about the purity in his church, and he will take uh, certain means to ensure that purity. But you see the identity of the church and that local assembly, how whoa, they are a distinct body. They are separate from the society around them. They are unique. They are organized. They are ordered in a, in a certain way. The pattern of the first church really follows the value or, or emphasizes the value that God himself places upon the church. When Jesus says, I will build my church, Matthew 16, 18, we see that he's serious about it. He's not just building some other organization. He's building his body, the church. And we ought to be uh, to value the church as God himself has valued the church. Uh, Acts 20, verse 28, talks about the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Jesus didn't lay down his life for any old organization. He laid it down for his church, universal church, but also for individual churches and individual Christians. He laid down his life for us. Well, we see another foundation in the Bible regarding membership, and that is church discipline, the practice of church discipline. Now, Lord willing, next Sunday we'll look at this in a more detail, but the idea is you can be disciplined, if you don't mind, out of a church. 
In other words, excommunicated. Why? How would that ever happen? Well, if you don't listen to God's word, if you don't listen to what he's commanding us to do, living a righteous life, honoring him, fulfilling our obligations before him. If you don't listen to those in the church, you're not listening to the shepherd. You're not listening to Jesus. And therefore, we have no relationship with you. Our relationship is based on Christ. But if you're outside of Christ, if you're not connected to the head, Colossians 2, then we can't relate to you as a brother and sister in Christ. We doesn't mean we're going to hate you. doesn't mean we're going to be rude and nasty to you. But we are going to regard you as somebody outside of our fellowship, outside of Christ, and therefore not a brother and sister in Christ, but a someone who needs to repent and believe the gospel. So the idea that we can have church discipline indicates, or, or is a foundation for the idea, is there are certain people who are in the church and certain people who are outside. And some who are in the church will be put outside based on their response to the gospel. And we'll look at that more carefully uh, next week. Response to not just the gospel, but the implications of the gospel to live a holy and righteous life, to live uh, honoring to God. Another aspect we'll look at in a couple of weeks now is the presence of pastors. Biblical foundation for membership is the presence of pastors or shepherds. For whom are the pastors responsible? Hebrews 13 and verse 17 emphasizes the fact, hey, these shepherds are going to give account. For whom? Just the church at large? Some, some Christian who's part of the church down the street or across the town or, or whatever? I'm not responsible for them. I don't even know them. How am I going to give an account for somebody I have no idea is under my uh, jurisdiction or jurisdiction being a responsibility, not authority, but a responsibility before God? How do I know that? One of the first aspects of Paul and Silas, well, Paul and Barnabas, when they were planting churches in their first missionary journey, is in mentioned in Acts 14 and verse 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church. Wait a minute, those churches, I need elders? Right from the very beginning, yes. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. We see the importance from the beginning, founding of local churches. They need shepherds. They need pastors. They need overseers. And we'll look at that again more carefully next time. I really want to focus on the last few minutes we have available on this fifth idea, the priority of mutual edification. The priority of mutual edification or the importance of fellowship and service and uh, encouraging one another, ministering to one another in the growth of the body. So much is spoken of here. And we ought to look. Let's. I'm sorry we haven't even looked at Scripture. I've mentioned several, but Ephesians 4, if you turn there, uh, Ephesians 4 comes... Well, after Ephesians 3, which, by the way, comes after Ephesians 1 and 2. And so Ephesians speaks of the local church a lot of times. It speaks of the universal church a lot, but it speaks of the local church. And it speaks of the need for the local church to fulfill its responsibility uh, before the Lord so much. I mean, you could just trace the word church through through the book, the letter to the Ephesian church, and see that every command, every imperative is couched in the context of a local church. But, for example, beginning at verse 15 of chapter 4, Ephesians, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, being joined and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper measured working, properly measured working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, again, this is true of the universal church. It's true of Christ's body at large, but even more so, it is true of a local church. Because, again, how are we going to contribute, as it says here, 
the properly measured working of each individual part, how is what you are doing in this local assembly affecting, again, the church down the street or across the way or the church in the next state over? Uh, generally advancing the message of Christ, generally uh, nebulously perhaps advancing the, the beauty of the gospel and the, and the, and the, the, the odor, the deathly odor of the gospel for those who are perishing, but to see how the body is growing in this body, the properly measured working of each individual part in this assembly, in a local church, that is what is causing the growth of this body. Body at large, yes, but more specifically, the local church body, the congregation, for the building up of itself in love. We see the need, the imperative need of mutual edification. We minister to another. It's not just one person, uh, whoever's preaching or, or you know, the, the pulpit ministry. It's not just that. Well, we grow because of the teaching. No, we grow because of our relationships with one another. We minister the Word of God, not just from this desk, but from our relationships, from our speaking the truth in love. We grow. That is the natural result. That's what God wants in his church. The importance of mutual edification, the, the properly measured working of each individual part, assumes, emphasizes as a foundation for this idea, hey, we're part of each other. We have a responsibility for each other. I don't know somebody else down in this other church. I don't, I don't, I don't. But I know you and you know me and we are committed to grow and, and help uh, each one to grow into Christ. It says the, it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We want to be more like our beautiful, glorious head. We want to be more like the mature man, described back in verse 13. That mature man, the measure of stature, which I believe, which I think translates the measure of stature, which is the fullness of Christ. How do we, how do we know if we're mature in Christ? Well, we look like Christ. Maybe not facially, whatever, but, but in terms of characteristics, in terms of the mentality of Christ, Philippians 2, 5, had this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do we see that mentality in ourselves? Can we look at ourselves and say, I see Christ more in myself because of X, Y, and Z, but especially because I'm part of that church where the scripture is taught, not just from the pulpit, but in the congregation. And boy, they expect me to not just teach that, but to live it. Remember a preacher saying, boy, my wife expects me to do everything I preach. Well, yeah, because that's that's what we need to to do, and and it's it's humbling. It's it shows. Wow, I don't have any corner on the truth. I don't have any special copyright to it or or anything. But we minister the word of God to another with the expectation is of rather growing in Christ as a result of that. You know, even something as simple as sharing your salvation testimony. Wow, that's so encouraging to hear how God saved you. Maybe you were saved in a Christian home, never sinned more than, well, I know you're a sinner, but but you didn't have the, the notorious, you know, I, you know lasciviousness and, and licentiousness and all that wickedness that are part and parcel of this world. But to hear God saving a sinner like you out of that situation, out of this situation, how did you hear the gospel? How have you responded? How have you grown? How has it affected your relationships? How has it affected your priorities in life? You used to be on this track. Now you're on this track. Wow, the gospel is powerful. The word of God is excellent in our lives. As we're part of this mutually edifying society, we grow in obedience to the Lord. Because, again, we expect one another to grow. Again, the, the expectation is, well, hey, if you're in Christ, you're listening to him, right? You're listening to his word. You're reading it daily. You're taking it in more than your necessary bread. You, you value what God has spoken to you. And so not just 
what he's spoken to you, but what he has commanded you. And so being in a local church helps to motivate us to obey the scripture because we know, oh, that person's going to ask me about, you know, this, this thing coming up that I asked them to pray for her, pray, pray over this thing. And they're going to ask me, how did it go? You need to go to confess your sin to so, so-and-so. How did that go? Did you, did you do it? How did, how, and the expectation is you better follow through on your promises. You better follow through on your obligations before the Lord, realizing that we need to be taught the truths of God's word. This mutual edification also helps us or, or I should say it this way, being part of a local church helps us to be on the same page. Literally, we're looking at the same text. We're studying through the same things, and we see how God is dealing with us in a variety of different ways, divided different circumstances and situations, but the same truth hitting us differently. Boy, I appreciate I, my heart resonating with this uh, verse, how that, how you, how, how it, you help me understand what God is saying in this verse, but realizing, wow, we need one another to grow in understanding of the scripture. We need to have a basic understanding of God's truth to us. We need to be diligent to preserve that like-mindedness. Again, not uniformitarian, or uniformitarian, that's a geological term, but uh, uniformity or um, a, a singleness or just always thinking the same thing, that like we're, we're, we're zombies or, or think, something like that. That's not the right term, but you know what I'm saying. But we are thinking, we have our thoughts ordered according to God's word. Not my opinion, not your opinion. I mean, we can have opinions, but like-minded on the essential truths of the gospel. That's what we want to be. And so we are emphasizing the priority of mutual edification under the teaching of the Word of God. The God's Word is speaking to us and through us and in us and around us, and we need to give our hearts to Him. Mutual edification also emphasizes the commitment that we have to the Lord, to this church, the commitment that we have to grow. It is helpful to, when you are talking with unbelievers outside the church, say, you know, I'm a part of that church. And you don't say in a boastful, proud, uh, exclusive kind of way, hey, Anybody can join the church. Obviously, they accepted me. They'll accept you. And so being part of a local church is a testimony to other believers. It is a testimony to unbelievers. It is a testimony even to mature believers, those who have been in the faith for a long time. And it's encouraging to see the, the zeal, the passion of new believers. And it just fires us up some more, fires older uh, folks in the faith up more when we see this a new crop of regenerate people in this church and ministering and serving, being so zealous again, as Ephesians 4.16, according to the properly measured working of each individual part. We can see how, as Ecclesiastes says, two, Ecclesiastes says, two are better than one. They have a better return or better return for their labor. And so being part of a uh, congregation magnifies the effect or the ability, the prospect we have of, of effectiveness or efficiency even in our fulfillment of the ministry of God. And so being part of a church emphasizes how God has enabled each one of us in different ways. We have different gifts, skills, and abilities to advance the message of the gospel, advance the, the method or the, the mission of the gospel and saving people, admonishing people. We recognize that it's not, again, what I can get out of the church. You know, I expect this service and that service, and when, it, when, it was, when is this need going to be met of mine? But we come with a mentality of wanting to see needs and meet needs. 
Could be a need just to speak an encouraging word. Hey, let's pray with one another. Could be a need. Hey, you need help moving something Tuesday afternoon? I'll be there. What time? Or uh, you know, any kind of other need. You need help with a sewing project? I've got I, I've got time. I've got the, I've got the no- let's do it. Let's do it Wednesday morning. Uh, meeting practical needs. Titus three talks about the vitality, the the essential nature of Christ's people being ready to meet pressing needs, being so not just sitting back and wanting to receive the blessing of other people, but to be so ready to be in a stance of service, of humble, dependent upon the Lord service. And so we recognize so many of these things. Okay, we may not see church membership, you know, a a chapter on church membership, but all throughout it, all these different aspects, these pictures of the church, the pattern of the first church, the practice of church discipline, the presence of pastors, and the priority of mutual edification might be summarized even in this verse. And we'll end with this, Galatians 6 and verse 10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are the household of faith. Especially, not to the church universal, yes, but to a local church. And again, if this is not the local church for you, praise the Lord. There are other options out there. But you are so welcome, and we want to grow together. We're committed to the ministry of the Word of God through authentic relationships so all would grow in Christ Jesus to the glory of God. That is our goal. That's what we're after. And we all need to grow. Nobody accepted. Nobody's there yet. Even the Apostle Paul at the end of his life says, I haven't attained it. But I press on. I press on toward that. And I want to bring as many people with me as possible in the Lord's service, in the Lord's working and Him giving the fruit. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your kindness, giving us yourself, giving us a fellowship we have in Christ, but also giving us each other and the blessing that we have in fellowship, the blessing of like-mindedness, the blessing of realizing that we're going in the same direction. We're going toward Christ and we are want to have the intention of our heart to be hard after you. We want to be a persevering after you. We want to be filled with your glory, the passion to see your name glorified in this earth, especially in the church. But we long for that day when the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. We look for that day. Prophets have spoken about it. Many prophets have said it. Help us now to be ambassadors of that coming kingdom. It's here in a sense, but it is coming in a, in a full sense when Christ himself comes and is king over all things and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, Christ Jesus is Lord. Please help us to fulfill our responsibility to you and to one another. Please help us even as we get better organized as a local congregation with membership and the clarifying of a commitment to you and to one another. We're so grateful for your word. You've not left us as orphans. You have been so faithful to us. Please help us be faithful to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.